Good morning, everyone. Everybody feeling okay? Everybody happy? That's that's good. Um, I'm happy. Thanks for asking. (laughs) I'm really looking forward to lunchtime. We're drawing to the end of our series. Um, And so we're into the rebuild section. So this is our rebuild reality check. As we've done in all the other ones, we did a reality check on restore, renew, and now rebuild. Um, Before we do, I do want to go... There we go, reality check. Recap. We want to recap on a couple of things. Um, Gary was uh, leading us through the, the bit last time on Renew. And there were a couple of things that he, he really brought out that I want us to go back to, to just sort of pick it up again, just in case we've forgotten about it or we, you know, that's gone now. So the couple of things that he, he really brought home, for me anyway, was just going to do that, was that. He made that statement. This is what he said whilst he was, he was going through what he was talking to us about, about renewing. Uh, do you remember we did the whole of chapter 3 in Nehemiah? And he really creatively got us to read it. And I, I've got to say, those of you that took part in that, I take my hat off to you because it was a really difficult passage with all the names that were mentioned and all the groups. And, and you look at them, these are not regular names, these are not, these are not names that we hear any, at any time or any place locally. And it's really difficult. I look at those sorts of things and you think, I have no idea where to start. So well done, those of you that, that were brave enough to stand up and give it a go. Um, but yeah, we, we were going through that and Gary, at the end of going through chapter 3, uh, and a bit later on in his message, he said this, Doing nothing is not an option. This is a really good challenge. Doing nothing is not an option. Now, if that's the case, then, you know, we've, we've, got, to, we've got to look and say, so what do I do? How am I involved? So that, that was a really strong thing he brought out. The other thing that I thought was really pointed was this. He said, if you're waiting for a sign, this is it. Now, I don't know whether that resonated with anybody, but he said in his preparation, he said he kept having this come to mind, and so he he put it in the mix. So maybe somebody is waiting to initiate something or get involved in something, and he's saying, well, this is it. If you're waiting for a sign, if you're waiting for the, okay, no, the starting flag on this, this is it. So I want to go back to that, though. I want to leave that up there for a little while. So we went through uh, the whole of the three chapters that we said we were going to do, and now we get to a point where we begin to depart from Nehemiah. Because up until now, the other things that we've looked at have all been about the past and then the present. But now we're beginning to talk about what comes from the present into the future. So the rebuilding bit is coming. And this is, this is different. We can't sort of look at things the way we have done over the, the last two segments. This is now about 
what we hope will happen. So we start to, we start to sort of break away from what, um, what we've read in Nehemiah. There are differences between what Nehemiah does and what we are doing, and that is this. We have, in Nehemiah, he is going to build with physical materials. He's going to build with rubble that's there. He's going to put that back into order and make a physical wall. They're going to build with mortar, rocks, stone, whatever it may be, timber. They're going to build something physical. We're not looking to do that. We're looking to build with people. We're looking to build with lives. It's been said that the kingdom of God advances one life at a time. And that's the way God's kingdom grows. So we're looking to build, not with a physical building, we're looking to build with people's lives. One of the other things that Nehemiah has that we don't have is the fact that he knows when he's finished. He knows when it's completed because the wall is there and it joins up all the way around the city. Job done. Now, I'm not underplaying what he's done or what he's been asked to do because obviously that was required at the time and that was what God had laid on his heart. So that's what he did. But we don't know when this building project is complete. God knows when the last person is in. We keep on working. Now, some of you know Andy, Ta uh, Andy Windsor. He works in the building trade. He, I, don't want to, I don't know what his full title is, so I don't want to say something that will underplay him. But he manages building projects. And he's very hands-on with getting something from a plan to an actual physical structure. Now, he, he works at that, and he may be on a project for, for months at a time or, or over a year. I think the thing that he's building at the moment, it's been about a year in now. He's the one that understands what the plans are requiring and then what has to happen. He gets the right people on site at the right time and the right materials at the right time. If there's a hiccup anywhere in the building program, he gets the people involved in to actually confront the problem and solve it. So that's what he does. He manages the whole project. But at some point, he sees the end coming. Now, that's good, because that's what he has been employed to do. He's been employed to see this through to the end and so that somebody has a building at the end of it. But then he has to find another project. Now, if we are involved in God's building project, we will never be unemployed again. We will always be at this task. We, we, like I say, we don't know when this finishes. God does. So if this is what God is doing... Who do you employ? Who do you ask to help do this task? Who do you choose? Right. I have a document here, and this is from the Jordan Management Consultants. 
And this is addressed to Jesus, son of Joseph. Wood uh, Crafters Carpenter Shop, Nazareth, 25922. It says, Dear Sir, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you have picked for the managerial positions in your new organisation. All of them have ta are now taken the battery of tests, and we have not only run results through the computer, but also arranged personal interviews for each of them with our physiological, uh, psychological and vocational aptitude consultant. Yes, it's a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? The profiles of all tests are included and you will want to study them very carefully. As part of our service, we make some general comments for your guidance much as an auditor will include some general statements. This is given as a result of staff consultation and comes without any additional fee. It is the staff's opinion that most of the nominees are lacking in background, education, voca vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you're undertaking. They do not have team concept. We would recommend that you continue your search for persons of experience in managerial ability and proven capability. Now, this is where it gets personal. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable <laughs> and given to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, place personal interests above the company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that will tend to undermine morale. We feel that it is our duty to tell you that Matthew had been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem business, Better Business Bureau. James, the son of Atheus and Thaddeus, definitely have radical leanings, and they both registered a high score on the manic depressive scale. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He is a man of ability and resourcefulness, meets people well, has a keen business mind, and has contacts in high places. He is highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We, therefore, recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. All the other profiles are self-explanatory, we wish you every success in your new venture. Sincerely, Jordan Management Consultants. Now, most of those things that they mention are true. You know, fits of rage with um, Simon, Peter, um, given to outbursts. Uh, James and John putting them, their, own, their own position above everybody else and, and not being committed. <coughs> That there was, there's no end of different things that he said that is said there that are true. Now, what if the list was longer? What if the list was much, much longer, and it included our names? What would they point out about me? And what would they point out about you? You know, they may say Terry is given to be easily distracted. Misses uh, the point 
perhaps just too impatient. You know, they could list off no end of things. And you would know prime things that maybe they could point out about yourself. See, don't forget, Christ is building a church. And he's looking for people to help. This is a major, major, major building project. Who would you choose? See, maybe it has very little to do with those things that are listed in that report. Maybe the best people to introduce others to Christ are the people that already know him. You know, maybe they're the best people to introduce others because they're already there. They already know him. Now, is that you? You see, if, if that's you, you're ideal for this role. You're perfect for this role. See, and the best people to show others what Christ can do are those that have been that have been and are being changed by him. They are the best people to show the world who Christ is. Let me move that on. You see, if you think we go to church, you're missing the point. If I think I just go to church, I am missing the point. Because it really is, we are the church, yes. We are the church. And it doesn't matter then, wherever we go. The church is there. We take Christ with us. Do you remember a little while back we said about this just being a pit stop? This is where we understand that we're part of a larger body we get encouragement, we give encouragement, we worship together. We do all of those things where we refocus our minds and our hearts and then we go again. The Gospels are filled with energy, real energy. When you read through what takes place, and I know it's a writing that's condensed, but when you read what takes place, there's great energy in the Gospel and there's great movement in the Gospels. Jesus went all over the place. He went everywhere. He didn't say, if you're looking for me, I'll be in church on Sunday morning. That's where you can find me. He went all over the country. He met people where they were in the situations that they were struggling with or coping with or enjoying. He challenged people, he challenged authorities, he turned things upside down. But there was movement, he went to find them. He didn't wait, he didn't say, I'm at the temple in Jerusalem, find me there. In Luke 10, verse 2, Jesus is about to send out 70 disciples. And he's going to send them out ahead of him so that they can go and prepare ground and then he's going to follow. 
And one of the things he says to them is, the harvest is plentiful. The harvest is everywhere. He says, the problem is, it's the workers. It's those that are not involved. We need more people involved. And he says, therefore, ask your father for the workers. I was at a conference once, many years ago, and we were in a large meeting, and I'm sat about halfway back in this auditorium. It was, um, it was, a, uh, it was one of the Butlin sites, and it was where a church, you know, an organised church comes in and has a big conference. And we were there, and we were listening to this evangelist, and he was trying to explain how you are involved in reaching others. And during his talk, he was going to demonstrate this. Now, there was nearly a thousand people in this room. It was a big congregation. And I'm sat about halfway back. And what this man did to demonstrate how we're involved in the gospel is he said he was going to whisper a message to one person. And then that person would tell two others. And then those two will go and find two others and tell them the same message. And so this is what we did. And he tells the first person and they go and find two others and off it goes. And it was like a tsunami because the epicenter was the stage from where the guy had been speaking and all of a sudden this thing was let rip and it just tore through this crowd of people. Now I'm about halfway back as I've said and by the time the message got to me, I struggled to find two people to tell because this thing had overtaken. And it, it, was, it was like a, a, a tsunami washing across a low, shallow shore and it just kept pushing. Uh, less than two minutes, everybody had heard that message. And that's by one person telling two people. And you think... Wow, if, if that's the case, this thing picks up speed, this thing accelerates. Now, I know evangelism isn't like that. That was a group of Christians and it was a demonstration, that was all. But it was trying to stir something in our hearts and in our minds of the fact that if you tell two people and they are changed and transformed by God and they tell other people, this thing is going to go up through the gears. Now, I'm going to <clears throat> read from Ephesians. If you've got a Bible, and you can turn to Ephesians 2. And we're just going to read two verses. Well, we're going to read 8 to 10 in chapter 2. Okay, this is what it says. For by grace you have been saved, through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared uh, beforehand, and we should walk in them. 
there is no qualification for you being here other than you are a broken, fallen, sinful human being. That's your qualification. And the fact that you're here is all down to him. He has done the whole thing. Now, there's another version of that. Do like the message sometimes because it gives a really good balance to, to things. So this is what it says in the message. This is just verse 10. We, and, uh, sorry, no, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both, the making and the saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he has uh, gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. We had better be doing. Now, I'm not trying to say, oh, let's beat everybody up and say, well, we're not doing enough. I'm not saying that at all. When we looked at Nehemiah last time with Gary, what did they say? He said, somebody read, you know, read six verses, somebody else read six verses, and off we went. Can somebody count the names? Do you remember that? Somebody count the names, and so somebody over here counted the names. Can somebody take note of all the trades that they, that they uh, mentioned? And that's what we did. And I think it was something like, we came back, we reckoned it was about 76 names were mentioned. Peculiar names. But there were 76 names mentioned. And then there were people groups in amongst those names as well. And, and then we went through the different trades. And none of them were building related. Everybody built. Everybody took part. They did whatever they could do. They built with what was in front of them. You are called, I am called, to work with Christ, to be a co-worker, to be a labourer for him, to take what he's given me to someone else. For anything to be rebuilt, there has to be a workforce. There has to be a group that are going to undertake this. And this is us. Now... I'd like us, now that's us, that, that is us, you know, the, the, there's no ducking from responsibility here. When you read a, a passage like that, you realise this is, this is connected to us. We were saved not just for our own good, but for the good of others. I want to take you to Iraq. Because obviously... Talking about rebuilding or building, that's one thing. But what are we building? Because like I said earlier, this is in the future. This is where we're headed. I'm going to struggle with the name of the place. <laughs> I'm going to struggle with the name of the place. But the guy that wrote this book, and he, he, he first pulled together this series and we've dipped into little bits of it but this bit is really good and this is what he says and this is about Iraq he says I've been challenged by what has been happening to the church in Iraq now this is written a few years ago so this was out of date slightly now reading stories from the region relayed in on the open doors website 
in a town called Karogosh. <laughs> Sorry about this. I'm... Andy, can you? That one on there? Karakosh. Karakosh, that's the one. Right, Karakosh. Sorry about that. <coughs> Karakosh. Thanks, Andy. Bro. <laughs> uh, Karakosh. Iraq, on the Nineveh Plain, There's recently, uh, they've recently rebuilt a church. When the so-called Islamic State extremists overran the region in 2014, cleansing the, the Nineveh Plain of Christians, they set fire to the church and later used it as a shooting gallery. When the members of IS were ousted and some of the population returned, they rebuilt the church. Well, almost. They left part of it in its burnt-out state with all the bullet holes uh, and f that, where they would be using it for target practice. They did this so that, that it would serve as a reminder of their story, of those who had to flee, those who died, <clears throat> and it's a reminder too, it always to be always prepared for Christ's enemies. This, uh, sorry, this is a church that honours the ashes of loss, grief, suffering and persecution. Its people know that those ashes, ruins and rubble are nothing to be afraid of. They know that the ruins are always rebuilt for one reason only, because God always keeps his promises. It is a section, uh, there is a section of arches that is the part which has been left un, untouched. The other sections have been rebuilt, but not to the original design. See, this is where we differ from Nehemiah. Nehemiah builds exactly what was built before. He puts back exactly what uh, were there to begin with. But these people have started to do something slightly different. So they rebuilt the rest of it, but not to the original designs. The doors now open under a banner that reads, Center of Hope. The new church is a place for all the neighborhood to come and to see, taste and experience God's hope for them. Youssef, a 21-year-old, says, IS can destroy our building, but they can never destroy our church. Youssef believes that even though the people in his community went through dark times, they can still smile and be happy. He goes on to say, We say to each other that we are going to rebuild this city. We are going to turn this bad situation around into a good thing. We haven't lost our faith. Me personally, I am stronger than before. From the rubble, dust and dirt, the church of Andy Karakosh has grown, <clears throat> sorry, has regrown. Not as, once, uh, uh, not as once it was, but into a new centre of hope. This guy, when he wrote this, um, had, he had only read about it. But then he went to Iraq and he saw some other centres of hope. And the communities in these churches, they don't call themselves a church, they call that themselves a centre of hope. And they, they share what they have with their community, whether they're Christians or not. 
They do what they can to supply those people's needs, whether it be spiritual or physical. Now, this is a church that is doing a new thing. This is a church that is not just about worship in a particular place or prayer. It is to do with how are we changing the world around us? How do we change our community around us? We have had uh, the pandemic. And obviously the reason for doing this series was because the pandemic had changed a number of things for everybody. And we don't want to go on about the pandemic. I, I hate referring to it because obviously it's something that we want to move on from. But the reason for the rebuild part of this is how can we do what we do better? How can we do it in a way that does have a positive effect? Now, you may remember that Joy gave a word during, I think it was um, 2020, and her word was to do with an aeroplane that she had seen that came down and was landed vertically. And then she said it fell over on its back, uh, so it's upside down. And she said about all of the, the people on the plane are now hanging upside down in their chairs. And they're strapped in, so they can't move. But now everything is upside down. So they're now sitting on the ceiling, and the ceiling is now the floor. But the interesting thing is she says... So many things fell out of everybody's pockets. What we were carrying, the things that we thought were important to us, fell away. And then she goes on to say about how we need to be wise about what we pick up and what we leave out. So I'm just trying to find the last little bit of this. So she says, I believe God would want us as a church that is made up of individuals to strip away the subtle access, um, access of predominantly first world objects, attitudes and values that we have put into our metaphorical pockets and we have forgotten about, uh, but we carry them around with us. And she goes on to say, we are so rich, we have collected and uh, we have collected treasures, too, too much of uh, the wrong riches. Sorry, I'm, I'm reading this really badly. Sorry about that. But she's saying we've we collected the wrong riches and we hold on to them as if they're the important things. Now I believe it is time to strip away worldly thinking and values and cover our hearts uh, that have covered our hearts too long. God wants to release us like an undoing of the seatbelts that are holding us back so we can walk around on the ceiling of the plane, which is now the ground. The world was turned upside down, and here we are. Some of us still haven't come back to church. Now, there are still some people that we would, have, uh, we would love to see, but some people still haven't come back. But we're in a different stage now. We can't, can't look over our shoulders and say, well, how do we used to do it? What should we be doing? We've got to look now and say, where are we going? How are we going to do this? It would be great to think that um, God has so much more 
than we have experienced already. I believe he has a lot more than we have had experienced already. The thing about being a church is you live in a society and a culture and you have to find ways of communicating into that culture with the priceless message that we have in the church, in our lives. I think that this is a pivotal time for us as a church. I think this is why Gary wanted to do this series, because there is always something new that God is doing. And he says, don't you perceive it? Don't you see it? Don't miss it. Get involved with what we should be doing. And we can do it at any age. We can do it in any degree of ability. We take it. We take God's church wherever we go. So when you're at work, you're the representative there. When you're at home, in your community, you're the representative there. When you go and you do anything for relaxation with groups and going out places, you represent the church. And it's not... Anything you had, it's not anything that you've qualified for. It is God working in you. We have no excuse. It's God working in me. And it's my heart. How open is my heart to what he's, he wants? Do you remember earlier we said about the alignment of the heart of Nehemiah with God's heart for the people of Jerusalem? I've got to keep an eye on my heart. My heart goes hard so quickly. You know, I can easily have a hard heart. It changes day to day. I have to build my guard because I can easily wander off, go away from what God is saying and what he wants to do. But he's called us. He's called us. We're here as a community living in Basingstoke. I keep forgetting. There we are. There we are. If the people of Iraq, through all kinds of extreme persecution, come out the other side and they say, we're stronger and we're able to do more now than we did before. Wow, we're not even persecuted like that. This is why I think when Joy says, uh, we are so wealthy, we are so rich, we can so easily miss the point. We can so easily miss our opportunity. So... What is on your heart for Basingstoke? Could we be the centre of hope here in Basingstoke? And slowly, and it will be slow, but slowly but surely have a better impact. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to hand back to Bro. <laughs> Father, we thank you that you have drawn us in to your church. We, are, we thank you that we are in your church safe and you are changing our lives. Lord, help us to have the heart that you have for where we are, for, for Basingstoke or wherever it may be. Lord, give us the heart that we need to see people differently. Give us the creativity, Lord, to, to be bold to find ways of reaching others, to meet people where they are. And as you travel around, Lord, as you take us around, Lord, may we have an influence that is positive for your kingdom. Yeah. Lord, may we see your kingdom come. 
May we see your kingdom come and may we play our small part in that. And may we be blessed by playing our part in that. Lord, may, um, may you fan into flame a desire to see you move through us. Lord, there are so many things that, um, that we can look at and say, these are limitations and these are impossibilities. And we forget who it is that has called us and who it is that has cut through all the impossibilities so that I could be saved. Lord, help us to, help us to have a heart, a mind and vision on you and what you're doing. Because you are doing a new thing. You are doing something fresh. You're doing something real in hearts and minds of people around us. Lord, may your church grow and may, may we be overtaken, Lord, one day by the fact that we can't keep up with your influence and your message going out. Lord, thank you that you can do immeasurably more than we could ever possibly ask or imagine. Thank you, Lord, that you are so incredible, Lord, so, so good to us, so graceful to us, and you show such mercy to us. Lord, may we share what we have generously with those around us. Amen.